0: Because this is not the Paris Agreement for the ocean. This is the UNFCCC moment for the ocean. Even agreeing on what a marine protected area is, is is a discussion, right? Is the UN is not greater than the sum of its parts. At the end of the day, every state is sovereign. But then we should also remember this cutting issues, which involves the financing of this treaty, how uh, voting happens, right? If it's two thirds, if it's four fifths, if it's by consensus you know, where the secretariat will be. So I've got some juicy details on
1: that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ocean Embassy. This episode is very special. I am welcoming back my very first podcast guest, Jeremy Ragwine from the Seychelles. Jeremy is an alum of the Alliance of Small Island States, short EOSIS, at the UN, and he served as one of the delegates for the Cechoa delegation during this year's and last year's high seas BBNJ negotiations. For those who don't know, the BBNJ negotiations is an abbreviation for Biodiversity Beyond National Jurisdiction. So anything that is happening in the high seas in the ocean beyond the borders of the exclusive economic zones of sovereign countries has been set out to be settled in this treaty there's been a lot of media fuzz and excitement about this treaty which is accurate and absolutely deserved it's basically as jeremy will say the unfccc moment for the oceans so it's not the paris agreement as in we have all the solutions and lots of funds opening up but we are approaching the establishment of a secretariat specifically for the high seas, which will then also start conference of parties or short COP, as we have for climate, biodiversity. So this was really a very important moment in the protection of the high seas, specifically regarding the establishment of marine protected areas and the benefit sharing of marine genetic resources. But also this episode was inspired by by Jeremy's sharing of the negotiations as they were happening night and day specifically nights and I encourage you to listen to this episode to gain some differentiated additional insight that doesn't often catch all the media's outlets interest but is nonetheless incredibly important to really understand what really happened at the BBNJ negotiations what is about to happen what still needs to be done and if you like this episode please share it please consider following us on social media on the podcast outlet where you listen to this and please rate us leave us a review that always helps and if you really enjoy the Ocean Embassy please visit my steady page where you can also give a small monthly contribution to help me continue doing this work independently and sustainably hello hello
0: Hey Anna, how's it going? Hi,
1: good, how are you? Good to finally see you, yes! Yes, we managed!
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm well, I'm well. It's getting warmer and warmer um, over here, which I appreciate after being back in Seychelles for a bit. Uh, It was cold when I left and it's warm when I'm back, that's how it should be.
1: Yeah, I saw your your story the other day um, (laughs) in the park with the the guy that was wearing this gigantic basket on his head. That was incredible. He's a city so cool. treasure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are still waiting for the warm here. It's yeah. like so cold.
0: I was talking to some people in Dresden and they were telling me um it's rainy <sighs> and yeah, not so not so. Far. We had
1: like two days of sunshine around Easter. Uh-huh. Um and basically before I went to Atlanta now it, it's just like every day it's gray and it's this drizzling rain and oh, it's just so frustrating and you think it's the good thing is that actually for the first time in years there's enough water falling in this part of the world so that's good um and it's super green but it's still sun yeah. would be nice
0: <laughs> it should be rainy and sunny at the same time that's exactly
1: the <laughs> exactly yeah i'm fine with like a couple of days per week but if it's yeah. just like all the time it's just ah oh, yeah yeah Definitely. it gets to you um, how was
0: how was atlanta what were you up to in atlanta
1: it was really cool um do you know ocean visions the it's uh, a, this, like ngo doing ocean-based climate solution stuff
0: okay not really but yeah
1: okay um they hold every two years they hold a summit um about like it's not really entirely scientific it's um not really entirely uh like business oriented. It's sort of this mix of stakeholders coming together. Um and they yeah, they held the summit and it was all about like Ocean C D R and um yeah, a bunch of different different things. I just finished editing an episode about it yesterday. So Oh check it um, out. It's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be really long. <laughs> it's two <laughs> hours. But yeah, it was, you know, I was um a bit hesitant before because I haven't flown in years. Um and I was like, is it really worth it flying for three days for a conference? But it was mm. so, so, so valuable to be with people in person and to have conversations in person. It's just something entirely different. Um, so, yeah, it was it was fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I I always, you know, it was told to me by someone um, not that much older than us, but maybe about five, ten years older. And she was saying, you know, if you get into... If you're fifties or seventies, and you're like an academic professor, or CEO, you've you've spent a lot of your twenties and quite a bit of your thirties talking to a lot of people, establishing a network. If we don't mm-hmm. do this, if we don't meet people, make genuine connections, and you can do that in a big city like New York, people can come to you. But especially if you're from from you know particular parts of the world, it's really important to make those connections because that yeah. that can last a lifetime in that sense yeah. and really make impact. So. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's really Absolutely. Good,
1: yeah. yeah. And I think it also gives a different sense of sort of commitment and um, uh, output as well. If you know people mm-hmm. in person, you feel way more sort of related um, yeah. to to them. Like it's the same thing for me with, with you and Sheena. Like because exactly. I know you in person, I, I care about um, a lot more things, I think, because I see it and I have this like personal connection to it. I
0: versa, 100%. Yeah. Same, yeah. same.
1: cool um so you're 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 back (laughs) it's my first repetitive guest (laughs) oh Um, i'm glad to be back (laughs) (laughs) well so i'm excited um i've learned so much in the last year since we recorded the first episode it must have been pretty much around this time actually yeah um yeah some some sometime anyway um so i'll um I'll quickly say a few things um, about what this episode is going to focus on and then let's jump into the questions so um, you participated in the recent BBNj biodiversity beyond national jurisdiction ne- negotiations at the United Nations um, or more commonly referred to as the high seas treaty where the high seas refers to the international waters outside of exclusive economic zones that extend to 200 nautical miles so that's around 370. 370 kilometers from land and you were part of the Seychelles delegation right um and you very openly shared insights on the days and nights especially nights um while this was happening and even though sort of the majority of my LinkedIn and I bet yours many others as well including newspapers etc they really celebrated the treaty as this like huge success um, but because I've seen your insights and your thoughts around it, I really want to, like, focus um, on the other side of the story, um, sharing your your voice and the voices of the Global South, especially and how you and they perceived the negotiations and the agreements of the treaty itself. So I want to, like, first talk about um, the technicalities of the treaty. So what was the goal? What was achieved? What is the actual treaty, sort of, what does it have inside, um, what is happening now, what is protected, committed, et cetera. And then in the second part, really focus on your view of the event, what it was, what it felt like, what happened, etc. cetera. Um, and yeah, my first question was going to be, um, how are you? <laughs> how has it been?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, the 20th, so... March fourth was the last day of negotiations, and that was uh, a thirty-six hour no sleep on one hour sleep after two weeks of intensity. And so we, you know, so we had a, a Thursday um, late night that ended up into a Friday three a.m. all around marine genetic resources, which we can get into. So Sheena, mm-hmm. uh, who you know quite well, um, she was an excellent resource for not only the Seychelles delegation, which it was our largest delegation, five people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we you mean
1: your largest delegation ever?
0: Ever at the mm-hmm. BBNJ. And, um, you know, this is um, quite uh, the case for small island developing states and especially mm. for global south states. Um, the case that we are we are maybe three, maybe two, maybe one, and uh, global north um, states have maybe 10, 20, 50 in person. And then. Mm. Who knows how many on the line, be it lawyers or academics. But mm, so that and, limits
1: sort of the ability to participate in parallel sessions and doing all the work. Exactly. And it's heard. just
0: it's just an advantage that um, mm-hmm. when you're talking about thirty-six hours of, of negotiations, people can come in on shifts and you're the same person mm. sitting in that seat who hasn't slept, hasn't eaten properly um is is very stressed hasn't seen sunlight you know we're in the dungeons of the un in conference room two and the vienna cafe area conference room six and all these so you you don't you don't come out with uh, the best mindset or best ability to negotiate and it's a strategy to tire mm. you out to give in um if you have eight hours of sleep and you only have to work 12 hours or, or so you can you can do a lot but if you only mm-hmm. had one hour of sleep and you're on 36 hours your suboptimum for negotiation, which, which people want actually, mm. the other the is, other side.
1: Yeah. Is the number of um delegates limited by the financial resources you have to participate, or is it actually limited by the like entry sort of requirements or or allowment?
0: Well, you know? there there is a voluntary trust fund um that the Dualos um the Department of Legal Affairs for ocean um at, at the UN, you know, so I think it's all about how much states and uh, non-state actors, private and you know, non-profits, uh, contribute to this voluntary trust fund. And then okay. this voluntary trust fund uh, tries to um, fund the participation of delegates. And usually states will fund at least one or two delegates. But let's say your country is going for a war, a famine, there's other uh, national priorities. How can they afford to send you, right? So mm. that means certain countries will not be able to send because they do not have the... Uh, funds to send the delegates and there's only a limited amount of funds um in the voluntary trust fund for instance.
1: Okay, gotcha.
0: But just to answer your question, I am I am good. I um the the first week after March 4th was just uh I tried to take the Sunday to relax and repair. Um it had taken a toll but you get a lot Mm -hmm. of attention so you had a lot of media asking for questions. So by uh Sunday afternoon going into Monday the whole week it was about really um, doing the next leg of this work, which is, you know, communicating and explaining where we're at with things, because I could see things like the BBC, um, you know, major trusted sources getting it really wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, oversimplifying. Um, I wouldn't say being overly optimistic, but just creating uh, the, the environment for people to have high expectations and for the expectations to, to crash when they realize, oh, actually, this isn't going to lead to that. So
1: Okay, try and so inject some yeah.
0: realism, you know, and try yeah. and check some different perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's let's dive into that. Um, As far as I understand, there are um, four main focus areas in the treaty, which is marine genetic resources, including the sharing of the benefits from these resources, area-based management tools, such as marine protected areas, environmental impact assessments, and capacity building and technology transfer. Yeah. Um, do you think there is like one of them that we should specifically focus on, or should we go through all of them? Um, what's the w- which one of them do you think is the one that that for example the BBC or, or other resources got um, got wrong yeah. or yeah, overestimated? Just,
0: just to give a couple of points. So just to add, mm-hmm. those are all the four components of that treaty, and it's exactly what people should focus on. But then we should also remember this cross-cutting issues, which involves the financing of this treaty, mm-hmm. how uh, voting happens, right? If it's two-thirds, if it's four-fifths, if it's by consensus, you know, where the secretariat will be. So I've got some juicy details on that. So yeah, I wouldn't okay. say it's a component, but it's these things that interwine and bring these things, the principles, right? And so I can get into those details and we can go into that. I'm quite, I followed cross-cutting quite a bit myself. And so I think it's how do we implement this treaty? Who Who, you know, who is get in the voice and how is it actually working is, is very critical because... Yeah, I
1: think that's yeah that's a super big point because actually I, I, after reading some of the, the the links you sent me as well, I understood that, yeah, okay, we have like passed the text now, but you still need to adopt it, ratify it, and then think about financing it. So it's by far not as optimistic yeah, yeah. as... Um, I, I'm going to use the word optimistic because my, I felt super optimistic when I saw it happening and I was like, oh, wait, there's still so much more to do. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I think okay. I think
0: just, and it's going back to those four components you mentioned, I think just to point out, you know, what the BBC got wrong uh, very clearly. I don't know if it's corrected itself since, but um, there's obviously the goal 30 by 30, right, in terms mm-hmm. of protecting 30 percent of our our ocean. Um, you know, people have talked about our land um, and it, it really is something to think about in this treaty. But it's not specifically mentioned in this treaty. This treaty can help us get to the 30 by 30 goal. But it's not as if it's is now enshrined in this treaty. So- it's because
1: it's enshrined that goal is enshrined in the um biodiversity treaty that was passed in Montreal, correct? And this so- treaty, the high Seas treaty high seas treaty, was necessary in order to even think about implementing the thirty by thirty
0: Okay. Yeah, I think I think yeah. yeah, now we get into a space of, you know, um, two different treaties, but there is this communication between the two. And so when we're talking about gener- uh, genetic resources or we're talking about protected areas, why right, do mm-hmm. we divide this thing between terrestrial and marine and uh, you know, there's even something in between, right? You know, what we 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 call in. So we talk about green and we talk about blue and then people talk about turquoise sometimes. And so things get very <laughs> complicated because law for instance doesn't really um What's the word? Like, it just is very arbitrary sometimes in defining things. And, you know, mm-hmm. nature doesn't know what law is, right? So, yeah, you got these two different treaties, but they have to kind of uh, talk to each other. And where, um, you know, from the African uh, group perspective, which Seychelles is uh, a leader for the marine protected area uh, component, the ABMTs, as you said, um, but also for other things like EIA process, we saw there was a global minimum achieved in the post 2020 biodiversity framework agreed at Montreal, Montreal um, that we were fighting for and that global North countries were trying to undermine, especially mm. when it came to genetic resources. So yeah, there's a lot of these components. So, I mean, I'm happy to talk about marine protected areas a lot, um, as much as it refers to Seychelles, which it's our, is our capacity strength. Um, we have the CEO of CECAT, Marie Mae, Jeremy, mm-hmm. so she was the, the the lead for Africa in that science. So I was working with her a bit following her work. I'm happy to talk about marine-related resources, but Sheena Thama was a complete asset as someone who's actually been on the high seas, who's been to Mm -hmm. the deep sea and and really understands this in a genetics way, in a scientific way. And um, at the same time, for me, it's a case of thinking about, um, you know, some of the big principles that come out. So again, it's under cross-cutting, but I'm happy to go wherever you have an interest and we'll take it from there.
1: Yeah, I think um, definitely those two focus areas are key to discuss um you quickly mentioned eias um so before we dive into marine protected areas and genetic resources eias are the environmental impact assessments correct um for international waters so um these are specifically important for geoengineering activities and i read that um Actually fishing and deep sea mining is excluded from the treaty <laughs> and uh, from having to provide environmental impact assessments, but there's some form of um agreement to promote it in in their practices but um yeah i, f- I thought that was quite interesting so but, but was it difficult to get to that sort of um agreement or um yeah
0: yeah, I mean contextualizing this thing right so mm the, the BBNJ, the Biodiversity Beyond National Jurisdiction, is an implementing agreement under the UN Convention of the Law of the Sea, UNCLOS, right, which celebrated 40 years of existence uh, last year. And so UNCLOS really, um, you know, we talk about it as a constitution of the oceans. And so you have the International Seabed Authority that is created under UNCLOS. You have um, the Uh, fish stocks agreement, the port authority measures, right? So these are all implementing agreements underneath uh, UNCLOS. And at the end of the day, what was agreed by states, right, this is a state-driven process, is that this treaty will not undermine the competent bodies that have been created by UNCLOS and these implementing agreements, right? So at the end of the day, for countries to get into this, we had to see countries wanting to... um, you know, be be happy with how governance is going to take place. And the BBNJ treaty is the first time that the world has discussed about the conservation and sustainable use of this area. Right? We have trade, uh, you know, large ships going around the world, really um, empowering empower, economies. We have telecommunications going through this area, which is you know, fifty percent of the almost fifty percent of the world's surface. Right? Two thirds of the ocean. Uh, we have a lot of things, legal and illegal, taking in place out there. And this is the first time we're doing conservation and sustainable use. And so when you're talking about EIAs in that sense, and it's an interesting discussion which a lawyer will be able to understand and explain a bit more because we'll see how it plays out, right? The International Seabed Authority hasn't um, exactly um, completed its draft rules for, for exploitation of nodules of and, and other uh, things out there right and there's a lot of push I think there's about 20 states that are asking for moratorium and um, so you know there is some kind of things where competent bodies whether the deep sea bed mining or these uh, regional fishery management organizations uh, that are underneath the FAO so in my case it's Indian Ocean tuna Commission which is going through a lot of stuff right now I mean I'd love to talk about it but are they managing these resources and There'll be an issue because where marine protected areas take place, uh, how EIAs talk to each other, right? And so why is something allowed to have this process? Another thing is not able to have this process. There was so many things around uh, cumulative impacts, right? So at the end of the day, you're saying, hey, if you do this, you know, you have to have EIAs, but you also have to have strategic environmental assessments, right? So kind of zoning and saying, actually, yeah, this area would be used for that. That would be for this. And how does this all align with currents, like, climate?
1: Uh, it's like marine spatial planning. That's in, it. In so sense, ABMPs yeah.
0: is huge in that sense. Okay. It's the it's linchpin for why a lot of com- uh, countries, or a lot of um, nonprofits really want this. They They really see this as key in that conservation and sustainable okay. use understanding.
1: Okay that's that's clarifying it a bit and interesting um that it wasn't included but for sort of this reason of other UN jurisdiction that is already tackling the issue to an extent um okay but yeah probably a whole different conversation so let's talk about MPAs um i understood that actually what was sort of novel and a good achievement is that uh, you can actually create MPAs now by majority vote as opposed to sort of everyone having to agree. Is that correct?
0: So because you know not everything <laughs> is in my head. So I've got I've got the draft <laughs> agreement in front of me. Um okay. so I can probably find the decisions. It's it's hard. I think I think this is the thing with speaking generally and I'll try and see exactly where it is in the agreement if I can look it up. Um, but at the end of the day, when it comes to something like this, we're thinking about conservation and sustainable use. So we're thinking about environment environment. environment. Um, without naming names, when what happens is, is we want to uh, have a consensus. Consensus is by best. So this treaty will hopefully go through in the General Assembly as a consensus um, thing. And, we, and taking a vote on it would not be good, right? So you've mentioned it'll take 60 countries to ratify this. And so mm. at the end of the day, consensus is best because we want it to be a universal treaty, right? The ocean is universal in that sense in terms of how it's Mm -hmm. been used. And I think for us, when we're thinking about marine protected areas, we're thinking, oh, we put something here, it will allow us to get benefits. It would allow maybe some of us not to be so happy because they want to extract benefits. But in the long run, you know, as a commons, the world would benefit. But then other countries, again, without naming names, will think about a marine protected area being created. And then what about... You know, the ability for, I mean, let's take Seychelles, for instance, if a marine protected area is created in our 50, like in on the board of, of our EZ, which is, you know, our board of EZ is about 40, 50 percent high seas, right? Mm-hmm. Now, are you putting an undue burden of Seychelles as the only state there to now go and monitor and basically ensure the, that, you know, compliance takes the place? Management.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's that consideration,
0: mm-hmm. right? There's a cost to it and so that's something that is is key to small island developing states okay. we've talked about our special circumstances and they've been fully recognized in this treaty we're remote we're dependent on the ocean um we have you know um a lot of uh what's the word where well, it's nat- national heritage a uh, cultural heritage to this and so this is one consideration then there's also the security consideration now there is about 400 um uh, marine boundaries that are disputed in the world right and you can Google different scenarios and it's amongst superpowers and mage powers. And so now if you create a marine protected area and it's in a contested area and maybe that, you know, the way you recognize the marine protected area and where this high seas begins or ends, that can also cause issues. So you'll see in the treaty mm. in that sense. So at the end of the day, it's very, if you take something by vote and then, you know, you're unable to basically push it forward because at the end of the day, that country, be it a superpower or a small island developing state, cannot does not want to or cannot go on it. That vote has come to nothing. So consensus is really the way to drive it. I think if I can, and I'm going to look at what it says, uh, but... By, mm-hmm. But
1: by consensus, you mean... Everybody. Um, everybody, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, so you're saying if the, uh, the decisions to... Sorry, just let me get it right to that. And I think... Mm. Because even agreeing on what a marine protected area is, is, <laughs> is a discussion, right? Um, so I'm just going through this. So you can make proposals, there's a consultation assessments you need to, again, I am not a lawyer, <laughs> but when it comes to this, it's all about, you know, going for the letter of the law. And so if I take too long, ah, there we go um so as a yeah article 19 bis as it stands um as a general rule the decisions and recommendations on the part shall be taken by consensus if no consensus is reached decisions and recommendations this party shall be taken by a free quarter majority of the representatives present in voting before which the conference of parties shall decide by a two-thirds majority of the representatives present in voting that every effort to reach agreement by consensus has been exhausted so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's a very complicated uh system. And this is where we go into these cross-cutting issues and voting and I can talk mm, about and, cert- mm-hmm
1: And like when do you decide that consensus is not reached? Like when you do when do you stop trying to reach consensus and go for the three-quarter majority vote? That's also fuzzy. Um
0: it's uh it's a legal oof. debate that hasn't been settled in this like kitchen, which is meant to be focusing on the ocean, right? We call them kitchens Mm. because maybe that's where we we're meant to create, you know, Mm. the, the recipes for how we do things. Um, But, you know, that's a, that's going back to the UN in terms of how the UN runs itself. So at the end Mm. of the day, I would say studying this, you know, it's a case that all efforts for consensus needs to be reached. Again, how do you define all efforts to be reached after one year, do you then say, hey, actually we can't do this, or is it based mm-hmm. on something else, right? And at this case, it's saying a three-quarter majority of president voting, right? So you gotta be in the room. And we had discussions mm-hmm. about is it by virtual? Am I president voting if I'm virtual? Because that happened in the COVID-19. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was disagreement around this. Um and then And again,
1: that's a discriminating factor, right? Like if um you have 20 people who are just, dis- available theoretically to be present in the room to vote for a country or if you have just two delegates um, the chance of not being there is much higher exactly
0: I mean so that's Mm. the thing so president voting is exactly your ability to be in the room and stay in the room and others Mm. ability to um, just wait for you to go that's the Mm. thing right if I'm staying in Brooklyn other people like I know you know really important people within the African group are staying you know an hour's drive from the negotiations And Mm -hmm. other people are literally, time's run out, we need to go back to Seychelles, we need to take two flights, that's going to take a day, right? So we can't miss that flight. We've got no money Mm -hmm. to pay. But other people are staying 10 minutes walk at the Hilton, so they just can go back and forth and take shifts. And they just can wait for you to go, and then a decision can Mm -hmm. be made. Mm -hmm. So that's the reality of these things and so those who are powerful and rich can can take advantage of these. So, but
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a fundamental structural issue of the UN then, right?
0: I think yeah. it's a structural issue of the UN, but then we have to remember there are faces that the EU, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Switzerland, you know, a lot of Nordic countries, they put on a very face that we've got the mm. experts, we're doing our best, we believe in a green and blue economy and we want everything. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, you're in the room you're the one asking for the least amount of commitment, the least amount of um, equity, equity here, right? Whether it's in voting or in, in terms of how non-monetary uh, or ben- monetary benefits are shared, right? So there's these very powerful, I mean, the US, of course, and, you know, I could name others, but, mm. you know, this is the thing, there's faces that people are willing to wear, and I'm just like, why, you know, it's, it's is it for voting? Is it for soft power? Um, mm. You know, these are the questions, so, yeah.
1: Okay. And then it also said that um coming back to the MPAs, in the end, states can still opt out of the decisions about MPAs. Yeah,
0: so we always have to remember when when talking about the UN, one of the international relations 101 is the UN is not greater than the sum of its parts. At the end day, every state is sovereign. Um it 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 has the ability to say, sorry, no. I mean, and international law needs to be understood as being an institutional norm setter, like something that says. Mm -hmm. You know, human rights, whatever we're thinking about, this is fundamentally uh, an abstraction that is then domesticated, integrated, ratified in a country. And then there are legal implications for uh, those who contravene it.
1: Right. Um, Okay, so I want to get back afterwards to this point about like the specific behavior and, um, uh, yeah, behaviors of, of you... Etc. Um, let's talk about marine genetic resources because I know that this is the, the the hot topic. And luckily, we just had not just but like two, three episodes ago. I had Gina on the podcast, so um, my avid listeners will <laughs> <laughs> will all uh, know what she does, uh, what amazing work she does. And um, marine genetic resources huge benefit, potential benefit for medicine, nutrition, aquaculture, industrial processes, cosmetics, you name it. Biodiversity credits, if that ever becomes a thing. Um, and so the goal of the treaty was to achieve fair sharing of financial and non-financial benefits of the ma- marine genetic resources and the data that's sequenced from them. Let's go into it. <laughs> well, um, yeah. yeah.
0: when you say AIM, I think mm. we have to remember that private sector... And that would include your, your research and development guys, your pharmaceutical guys, uh, maybe military, you know, in the sense of where they're focused on. Um, the list goes on. And then it would also think of maybe your nonprofits, your non-governmental, you know. Um, mm-hmm. their, 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 their need is to have certainty. And law provides certainty. Law is a great mm-hmm. way to enable investment to take place, enable decision and planning to take place, right? And so, when you say the aim is the equitable sharing of this, that might have been the UN's aim, that might have been exactly, yeah. the global South's aim. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: but I can tell you, it was not the aim of maybe country. Well, mm-hmm. definitely countries like Switzerland, definitely countries um, that are represented by the EU. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have to start looking at where the patents are. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Switzerland, Germany have some of the greatest amount of patents. I mean, apart from. Global North countries. like What is patents? So intellectual property, right? So saying, you know, patents, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> So mm-hmm. it's one of those things that at the end of the day, like um, there has been only maybe 12, 20 countries able to go out into the high seas for extended yeah. period of times. And then you know, there's only X amount of countries with the labs yeah. and, you know, quaternary sectors of the economies, right? The labs and, mm-hmm. and research and development people to really go and study these things. And then, derive benefits from them and so a lot of the arguments from i i took part in igc3 in march last year igc4 in august IGC? sorry sorry (laughs) let me back it up sorry actually it's the intergovernmental conference so the bbnj has taken about 21 years so it's like somebody that told me it's like i think the career or lifetime of justin bieber um (laughs) so quite a relatable uh you know factoid there and the last, so before COVID 19, so in 2019, there were two intergovernmental conferences. And then um the last there's been three or two, depending on how you look at it, because so I took part, sorry, intergovernmental conference number four um in March last year, number five in August, and IgC five biz, or, or which is in legal terms like a, a funny joke, I guess, or resumed, um, which was um in, in this this year in, in in February March. And you know, marine genetic resources and how people have understood them has always been a contested mm-hmm. issue in this. And it's always been the one that ends late and basically has that. So in these things across that a lot of you know developed countries, um industrialized countries, I should say, because now I'm talking about global north and global south when you think about mm-hmm. that. But they were saying actually the traceability to find out where these marine genetic resources have come from. You know, if there's maybe a species that spread over the, the national jurisdiction and beyond national jurisdiction, how can you ascribe uh, ownership or, or, you know, trace, tracing that back to mm-hmm. this, you know? So it's not implementable. It's not realistic. So mm-hmm. they, they started up and, and it came to a point where not only is it not realistic, it's just hard now. And then it came from, so it became from impossible to hard to maybe to, okay, we'll try and so many systems. So you can see there's so many tactics that are to undermine people's, uh, you know, I would say as a future proof, as something that's meant to be the, because this is not the Paris Agreement for the ocean. This is the UNFCCC moment for the ocean mm. in the sense of conservation and, and and sustainable use, right? It's establishing a conference of parties and establishing a lot of other bodies because it wants to be future proof. It wants to mm. look in the future. So today we might not have the technology. Today we might be limited in many ways, but who's to say in 50 mm-hmm. years, 100 years time, we don't have the technology. A lot of people already tell you actually, if you have laws in place, and every scientist, right, and I'm sure, and I'm talking to Sheena, she brought this up, will tell you, hey, these are the GPS coordinates in which I extracted this thing, right? I, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that is at a basic level how you start off. This and I mean, from a and technological
1: and, point of view as well, I can tell you there's so much. Yeah, isotopes, right? Yeah, there's, there's so much happening, myself included, in the regards with, um, like, developing technology, scalable technology to actually do trace this and associated back to where it came from but okay um yeah gotcha yeah
0: so I mean that's the thing so a lot of these things are, are seen as impossible to do and then another argument to say well we're not sure if there's going to be any resources uh you know b- monetary benefits or non monetary benefits that are going to come for this right they're like we don't we don't know actually mm-hmm. so why are we why are we wh- this is a distraction we should be focused on the Eias we should be focused on the marine protected areas and you're like well as it was explained by an amazing judge, um, um, Mr. Tim um, and he was a facilitator. And again, just to really shout out, these things don't happen without people. So you have people like President René Lee from Singapore. You have all her, you know, different facilitators coming from all parts of the world, Africa, um, um, the, the SIDS from, from Europe, from, from North America. So amazing people, just to mm. shout them out in that sense. But he was explaining that this treaty needs to be understood as a body. And if like one arm is EIAs, another arm is is the marine protected areas, that's how you do conservation and sustainable use. But two arms just standing there aren't, aren't gonna do much, right? They're just, they're just lying there. So how do they get to the problems? They need feet, they need legs. And so the capacity building and marine tra- transfer of marine technology that's one leg to get you stepping forward, but you can't just hop to the problem. So marine genetic resources is seen as how do you finance? How do you get the resources to make this treaty implementable? And so it's a very big tactic by several states to say, global south states, right? Represented by the G77 in China. We want these benefits, whether it's monetary or non monetary to go back to our countries. And we're actually saying, no, we want these to go back into the treaty so mm. that then we can have the ability to make this treaty work which is when you think about the economies the needs of these global south countries mm. and when we think that the high seas is a common commons this is a huge give this is a huge good faith act and so the amount of undermining that i've seen of you know saying now nah, people are just being greedy people are just doing this so they can take this back to their states or like Actually, that has never been the that has never been the strategy. Mm. This is all going back into and and then it's also talking about, you know, we looked at what happened with COVID-19, and a component of COVID nineteen came from the oceans. Maybe not from the high seas, but came from the oceans. So who's to say in the future there might not be a pandemic? And look how vaccines were stockpiled by the most powerful countries where they had multiple Uh, numbers of vaccines than their populations and just sat on them while other countries um, suffered deaths and and so many other issues that came from this pandemic and so it's when you're talking about marine genetic resources some people want to underplay it but within now already pharmaceuticals all the way for the next 20-30 years there are many benefits that are being talked about and more to come I'm sure as technology and understanding increases and um, I'd say you know there are if you look at all the museums of the world, if you go to the Natural History Museum in London, there's so many things that have been extracted from mm-hmm. the oceans, be it high seas or otherwise, that are just sitting there that still need to go to a lab. And so
1: it, yeah. some states
0: already have huge advantages mm-hmm. and they want to maintain that advantage, just to say.
1: Well, that plus I think it's um so frustrating. Oh, it's just also frustrating. But it's like uh, I think you you mentioned it, um, the common heritage principle that was undermined and there is a lot of like um hypocrisy around oh we want to like do so much financing for this um treaty etc but then um we will think of our industry first um and i did not know that it that the marine genetic resources were um meant or are Yeah, meant to be a financing mechanism for the treaty itself. That's super, super amazing. And then there's the other element um, of capacity building where it's so important and so smart to empower and educate people in the global south with the right tools with the right knowledge with the with the finances to do some of this dna sampling themselves to start developing vaccines in those countries too because it will automatically feed back right i mean it will help your economy it will help your resilience it will mean in the future you will not need to be so dependent um on cross-financing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's so clear and obvious, but...
0: But there lies the, power, the problem because the mm. strategy is not to allow you to be independent. We're mm. being asked to give in the tools to allow us to be independent, but power doesn't want to work mm-hmm. that way. We, we're often sidelined by the US saying, oh, we're puppets of China. We're, we're just going along blindly with China. And you're like, hang on, we do want to um, have these means so that whether it's China, whether it's the US, whether it's EU, we can have the power to make choices that are not dependent. And that's I think actually, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's
1: a really interesting. There's a
0: dependency.
1: Really interesting point because I was also very surprised and curious to see um, this like g seventy seventy plus China that was like everybody, like Global South countries had like everybody except the G7, I guess, um, plus China. Um, the, the sort of role China is playing in that. Um, yeah, and that setup. I mean, is can, interesting. <laughs> but that totally makes think, sense, what you just said. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I can speak quite freely about this after the fact. Um, and I, I think I've gotten, I've tried my best to be as transparent in a closed, um, sensitive room, mm. right? You're not allowed to take pictures of what you're not at center. And so just me tweeting about certain things as, as a representative, I always have to be careful. But at the end of the day, as a small island developing states, our biggest strength is our ability to to communicate and talk and Mm. say, hey, there's a problem here and, you know, let's set the record straight. So I always believe in that. But I I think what's important to remember about the 134 countries represented by the G77 in China, the global South, they make up 70% of the Earth's coastline, 80% of the world's population, right? Um, When we're thinking about the future and young people, Right. Um, With young people, people are aged. I mean, Africa's average age is 19, (laughs) right? I mean, so when we think about 1.3 billion people there, Mm. it'll be be billions more in the decades to come. And so we're talking about a future, right, of the world. It's incredible because at the end of the day, China for me is as any superpower and any major power and any state acting in its Mm self-interest. But it also understands from where I sit, sit, That if it wants to act in its own interests, it cannot be um, going against countries that are um, in the same boat as it, if I make sense of that, right? If you look at it, it's still classified as somewhat developing, but an exceptional developing state Hmm. based on its size, history, and many other things. And I think that's the thing. There is a division between the global South and global North. The global North want to treat China as a global North state but china finds itself in a very interesting position and at the end of the day what i've seen china do is it will influence as much as any other country that has trade and relationships as anything right but on certain issues it will remove itself and just say we'll do whatever the rest of them are doing hmm. and 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 that doesn't is from where i'm standing that has not come with strings attached hmm. that's that's what's interesting to me and i think that is quite smart because Sometimes you can be coercive, you can be very, you know, stick and say, you guys do this, or you can just kind of do the right thing in someone's eyes. And then that's quite um, suggestive, right? You now find yourself aligned in that country and you're saying, hmm, I, 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 maybe I trust China more. Maybe, maybe yeah. I can still see why China's doing this, but at the end of the day, they're not standing in my way when I want this.
1: Well, yeah. Plus, I mean, if, if you think about it, it's all interconnected um and especially when you say yeah i mean africa's mean age is 19 um there are already so many right wing powers in the us and europe that are um like afraid of the, the few people that are coming to europe because they don't have any prospects in, in 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 africa and it's like instead of building walls you should be thinking about how you can build capacity and build eco- like democratic economies in these countries and if you're ignoring things like this at this level that's just frustrating that's just like well you're just going to run into so many problems and in the end of the day like europe is freaking tiny in terms of size and in terms of population in terms of like our um uh g- gdp what's it g p p the economic GB, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite big but still it's it's um it's frustrating. Well, it's,
0: it's, mm. it's all dependent on um, secondary manufacturing, let, more and more or less so, mm. and then t- uh, tertiary, right? The services, and then quaternary. And so the natural resources are no longer in Europe, or very few of them are, yeah. right? When you're talking about fish, where does that come from to EU? It comes from countries like mine, mm. where it's from the Pacific, Indian Ocean. Mm. Um, obviously, the Atlantic is something that is there, but it's not where you know, everything's coming from for yeah. Europe. So yeah. Europe needs to go far away to yeah. get the kind of resources totally. from the ocean. And totally. you're talking about, you know, COCOA, um, what's happened with the Ivory Coast in Ghana. There's interesting things there, right? So Or and again, gas. Was...
1: I mean, we just experienced <laughs> so this. It. It. It's... it's just, yeah, I... yeah. Yeah. Okay, but so solution-oriented, there was, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the, the treaty did establish an access and benefit sharing committee for marine genetic resources that um, is both about resources that have been discovered already and those that will be discovered after the deal enters into force and then advises where the money should go. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. Um, I think you have to then look at the letter of the law and, because while it might exist in the treaty text, you now have to understand there's mandatory strong language mm-hmm. and then there's voluntary language. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying countries may not, uh, do this, but this is meant to be a legally binding instrument. Mm-hmm. And so, each when you say should or or or, or may, mm-hmm. that is voluntary. Mm-hmm. When you say shall, mm-hmm. it's a comp- it's an obligation. Okay. And unless there's something that comes after that, a qualifier that comes after that, it it is pretty standard. So when you go and I can I can probably find mm-hmm. it and look out for it. Um, yeah, let's 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 look
1: into which part of that is going to be legally binding and which one is going to be voluntary. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? That's the details that you need to look into. if you. That's the details. Yeah. And
0: again, like, you know, I'm coming from a conservation background. Um, I'm one of those people who enjoy policy, but I'm by no means, and, and study policy and comment on policy, but I'm by no means a lawyer. And I think I, I use my privilege as an English speaker. And again, it's really important to remember there is these privileges, right? Unless this, because if there's a lot of issues, if this is meant to be done in Spanish, in French, in Russian, um, in, in Arabic, in Chinese, Mandarin. Um, but it's one of those things that in the end of the day, it's not always the case. In the mm. last 36 hours or the last hours of that 36, we lost all the translators. So, you know, your oh, ability okay. to look at these details mm. and say, hmm, yeah, actually, uh, you need to be a third language speaker or, or even have your second language speakers in the room to say, okay, this is how it is for the French speaker or for the Arabic speaker, you know? Mm. Um, okay, so if I'm looking at it now, da, 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 da. so when you talk about monetary benefit sharing, it, it goes into a lot of things. And um, what I'd say is there is a committee, uh, Access and Beneficiary Committee established on the Article 11bis. Um, and it's a case of saying that, again, there's a free force majority of president voting for decisions to be made in that and there's a special fund that is established so the payment shall be made through the special fund established under article 452. the modalities may include uh, the following milestone payments payments or contributions related to the commercialization of products including payment of a percentage of the revenue from sales and products so we don't know what percentage um a tiered, uh, fee paid on a periodic basis based on diversified set of indicators measuring aggregate level of activities by state party Um, other forms as decided by this Conference of Parties taking into account recommendations by the Access and Benefit Sharing Committee. And so what's interesting is now this was added as a kind of compromise, better text, and it's very voluntary in my opinion. So very, very voluntary. A party may take a declaration at the time of the Conference of Parties adopts the modalities stating that those modalities shall not take effect for the party for a period of up to four years in order to allow time for necessary implementation, a party that makes such a declaration shall continue to make the payments set out in paragraph five bis ante until new modalities take effect. So, you know, there's something where a country can go to the COP and say, "Hey, we want to start um, implementing." Um, these modalities where you're doing, you know, uh payments uh towards let's say marine genetic resources. But it's gonna take four years. So let us try and figure out how a national legislation, how corporations, how all these other things within a country are meant to now behave so that we can make that payment. Because there'll be things like assessed contributions, which is how the UN says, how the UN operates, right? If you, as the US, make up 24% of the world's economy, you give about 24% of the un's budget right and so there's these assessed contributions that will go into this and so there's that for this but then we're saying okay there's benefits from marine genetic resources they're going to go into this there's other things that we'll be um doing fundraising for whether it's from philanthropies whether it's from you know so all i can say is I would have others go through this and just read carefully. I'm not a lawyer, but it's under, you know, as 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 someone who might want to check this out, it's under article eleven, fan sharing, fair and equitable sharing of benefits. And you can go to paragraph uh, four and and five to really get into it. Um and but the whole the whole article's Okay, so so
1: so basically there will be this committee and there shall be payments. But there's a lot of freedom and sort of flexibility and room for interpretation of where those payments exactly are coming from and going to. Because it did say shall yeah, at the I beginning. Mean... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing it can say it at the beginning and then you have a qualifier at the end that says under these circumstances you know oh, okay. if it says as appropriate but then you say well what's appropriate? as appropriate it makes sense right who's saying it's appropriate what's appropriate okay, right the criteria. so the shall is a great thing but then it can be undermined quite easily okay and so it's about really um getting a lawyer in the room and again as someone who is not a lawyer i always stop myself at these points and be like i can understand it as this and then i'll be mm. like let me get my international law professor from NYU mm. and let me think what he says and then he might mm. uh disagree with someone else who's as qualified um on this issue and he might be and sleeping
1: so, at 5am in the morning so
0: <laughs> right right so there's all these things okay. and um sometimes that's part of a treaty to have some uh useful uh or you know ambiguity so that it can be figured out another day
1: okay all right so lots of legal technicalities um what would you say are the positive things to take away from the conference and the treaty now and what still needs to happen um so we talked about still needs to be adopted at, next, at the next meeting ratified by all of the states at least 60 and then needs financing
0: and just so Caveatting, mm-hmm. adding on to those things that need to happen, it needs to be scrubbed. I wasn't here for this process, but... That country. Uh, sc- sorry. <laughs> yeah. Scrubbing is, is, is going through. So now if you go for this draft agreement, which has been agreed in principle, you'll see there are no brackets. Brackets is like when things are undecided, everybody needs to say, let's remove the brackets. But you'll see things like this, ante, and you'll see numbers repeated. So it doesn't like logically flow in text, mm-hmm. right? There's issues that are need to be finished. But it's one of those things that now a legal set of team members or, or, or parties will go through okay. and scrub it so it's clean, okay. so it all looks like it should. And in that process, there's, been, there's not meant to be any substantive changes, right? But guess what? The most powerful people in the room are trying to make substantive changes. And so to be meeting again in May. And so that's something that's not getting a lot of public attention. But anybody in the room is saying, hey, we we, we said we weren't going to make these kind of changes. Why are you bringing this up right now? Why are we trying to undermine this? Why are you trying to push? So some of the same things we've discussed about marine genetic resources, access to benefit sharing. A lot of countries who have the lawyers from the global north have come in and are trying to get away with murder. So that's just my little caveat okay. before I go into the positives. Mm-hmm. Because maybe those things are undermined a little bit and, and I, then I'm not speaking reality anymore. Mm-hmm. I would start by saying... This is not the silver bullet, but it is a raft um, when it comes to the first step to doing the conservation and sustainable use. This has been a no-person's land, and it covers, again, almost 50% of the world's surface. It has the largest living ecosystem being the deep sea included as part of it. And so now we are drawing attention and resources to this place in this way for these aims. For the first time ever and that's a win that's a win for multilateralism as wars are raging right there are about seven um conflicts not just the ukrainian uh, russian war but also when we think about um what's happened in in parts of sudan in south sudan um in, in, in west africa in the middle east um, when we think about tensions in the south china seas that these countries have come together and agreed on something that's that in this context it's very much a win for multilateralism and our ocean mm and the future generation so more eyes more resources out there it it, and you know a lot of ngos could could breathe a sigh of relief um have their their eyes light up with dollar signs because they knew once this treaty was agreed billions of dollars from governments from philanthropies had been unlocked Mm. for them to start doing the work so you could literally see from conservation international the next day, uh, they started advertising for a role related to this, <laughs> to set up MPAs. So it's good. Mm. That's good. Don't get me wrong. I, but you just have to remember there are mm-hmm. agendas at play. Um, so it's 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 not a silver bullet. It's a raft. It's not a speedboat in that sense. But we can build on that raft. Mm. And that raft should get stronger over time. And I think a raft should be able to weather storms. We will have more big waves. We'll have storms in this high seas as we go out there. But we had nothing before. We were just you know, um, floating and swimming as best as we can. So that's the important thing.
1: Wild West. Now,
0: yeah, yeah, the wild, wild wet, some people <laughs> yeah, say. Well, that's a good one. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so, and then, so I'm going to then be a little bit selfish and focus from where I'm standing from, which is more from Seychelles, small land developing states mm-hmm. and and the African group, right? So if I just go back up, and this is what the African group, you know, is going to walk out on, right? You had the BBC already saying, hey, we agreed, but other countries like, no, no, other groups, like the largest group in the UN after the G77 is the African group with 54 members. And if we leave, we leave with a quarter of the UN members, basically, mm-hmm. right? And so we were going to walk on this, but just to point out that in um, the um, principles so one of the most important ones, which you had mentioned, is this common heritage. It was of mankind before. It is now been updated to be humankind. Nice. And it was something that is basically not being undermined by freedom of uh, high seas. The freedom of high seas is kind of mentioned in this, in the sense of talking about freedom of marine scientific research uh, with other freedoms of the high seas, which may include things like freedom of navigation, which is important for security interests out there. Um, but these principles, if you look at Article 5, are about polluter pays principle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about uh precautionary approach um and, and precautionary principle included, right? Mm-hmm. Approach is a bit weaker than principle because yeah. we're talking about irreversible damage here, uh, which the principle takes into account. But then we understand that different countries uh who are um members of or signatories to UNCLOS need to still make this work for them as another treaty, right? So there's a bit of things. So I think going through the principles, you can see a lot of really important ideas are are being referred to here and countries are meant to look towards. And the common heritage of humankind is saying, at the end of the day, this is a commons for everybody and we should act with everybody's best interests. Still power will play, still the reality is that unfair, unjust, illegal things happen out there. But as something that's meant to hold us to a better world, a better future, I think that was important to us. Yeah, and
1: the common... The, that was the principle where EU, Russia, Iceland, Australia, Japan, and the Holy See, which is the Vatican, right, wanted it removed from the text.
0: It's it's so hard to say okay. this and ah, that. Okay, that was in one of the articles. Um, was, okay. So yeah, it's 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 one of those things that at different moments different things happen. So there was you know sometimes the Holy See coming in giving suggestions that mm-hmm. then we don't find useful because then it equates the high seas with 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 the common heritage, uh, which we do we don't want. I mean, there's some people even saying outside of the room it shouldn't be common heritage of humankind. It should be common heritage because then you include Animals, all beings, mm, mm. yeah. And so, so there's a lot of things attached to this. Okay. So when you try and it's, it, but as it stands right now, I think it's pretty good. Um, and you know, it shouldn't be the be all and end all. It should just be like this is a foundation block for us to understand um, how we how we see this thing. Mm. And then in that same um, article five. Um, It's also one where from the special circumstances of small island developing states and least developed countries are being fully recognized. And for SIDS, which includes Seychelles, countries in the Pacific, in the Caribbean, um, we really need that because we understand, as I said before, you know, we are bordering the high seas or surrounded by the high seas as it is with Cape Verde, almost completely Mm. 90% of the border. So what happens in the ocean, you know, it, it goes into our... What happens in the high seas or open ocean goes into our national jurisdiction and we have no way to really stop that from happening and then we're so dependent on it for our sustainable development we we also have really um weak capacity that needs to be strengthened or our traditional indigenous knowledge has to be recognized mm-hmm. uh, you know there's so many things that our special circumstances can cover and by being fully recognized it's very important and and at the same time, it's a win, I think, for the acknowledgement of the special interests of landlocked developing countries, which mm-hmm. at the end, they can't access this thing, but are impacted by how the ocean is treated, right? When we and think about climate. climate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In which way would and, you say
1: that the small island states weren't uh, fully recognized? What does this like fully recognized mean? So
0: at the end of the day, when UNCLOS 40 years ago was established, so the special, um, maybe it's got a different, the, the full rights, the full rights, of least developed countries and lion locked developing countries were recognized. SIDS weren't mentioned. Guess what? SIDS were all, well, pretty much all colonies okay. or territories of superpowers and major powers. Okay. We did not have a seat at the table. We were not okay, there. Okay, I see. And even after that, we were presented in these spaces by old um, white men um, from wherever, mm. you know, the UK, from Europe, from America. Gotcha. And so where are our needs really put forward? So when we're talking about this implementing agreement for this conservation and sustainable use, we're saying, hey, in the past we're not being mentioned, but now here's our full understanding of what we think these things are. Okay. And they need to be understood. Because if you want to have an ABMT, a marine protected area near us, you need to give us the right capacity to then comply with this. You know, we need to understand how we're going to be impacted positively as well as burdened by this responsibility. Mm. So that's that 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 and then this is in the General provisions, and then you have to try and think about each um, component uh, referring to this. So, in capacity building, in in uh, the ABMT section, in the EIA section, all these things are meant to talk to each other to say, okay, SIDS need more of this, or SIDS need to be considered in this way, or we need to be presented on this committee, or you know, these kind of things are then referring back to this general okay. principle and provision.
1: Okay. And the other uh, principle you mentioned which I also find incredibly relevant, is the polluter-pace principle, right? How, how strong is that one?
0: Again, same. I think we mm-hmm. have to understand that this is needed here to build on cases, mm-hmm. but cases need to be brought forward by countries. And the same way in the climate space, seven countries are, represent for, uh, are responsible for 75, 80% of carbon emissions, mm-hmm. Right. But how how is how is uh, how how are countries like Seychelles going to hold um, China or the US or the EU accountable? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the member states of the EU accountable. Um, You know, these are questions that at the end of the day, the polluters should pay. And this is saying this as a world, we believe this. But now to actually go about and enact this is hard. It is Mm. um, something that you know, we need to try and work on, I guess, maybe in the legal okay. realm or but elsewhere. But it's,
1: it's one of those positive takeaways to at least hold on to three things. Yeah. The common heritage of principle has at least been put into a principle. The polluter pays principle is sort of agreed upon, at least some... Yeah. Like, this, it's written somewhere in the precautionary principle. That's the thing.
0: If this is a, you know, people almost... Say hey, when you're doing something, they use the plane, right? Either you're flying the plane or you're building the plane. You can't do both. Well, what happens in the ocean and in international cooperation is, let's say this is a raft. We actually need to get on this raft. This raft is long overdue, and we're going to try and make this raft over time be a ship. But this raft needs to keep on moving forward. So we're going to be building mm-hmm. this raft, and so people need to understand is this is this is just the first layer. This is the this mm. is the ground layer and even in the ground layer there's still some things missing like where the secretariat will be you know the eu is really pushing for it to be in brussels we as the african group wanted it to be in new york with dualos because that's where all our missions are and most of the missions in a lot of the activities in terms of our relevant legal experts are and chile has come up and said "Hey, actually want this in our country to decentralize it to make it more uh, equitable because i think apart from kingston and nairobi um, I can't think of any other locations for the UN in terms of its uh, bodies and and relevant uh, pieces. Isn't
1: mm-hmm. Paris quite for the ocean? No, but um... it's a global north
0: country, right? So that thing, there's only two, oh, you mean, yeah. two host yeah. uh, places for, for UN that are not in the global north. Everything mm-hmm. else is found in That's Europe, North mean. America. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, these are kind of discussions that, that yeah. allow who comes there, how they supported, all these discussions. In the logistics.
1: Yeah.
0: but That makes sense. Yeah. There's also, there's more, there's more to say. There's always a lot more to say, but I think Mm -hmm. uh, for our generation, you know, we need to understand that this treaty, it will take maybe, uh, if you look at the Paris Agreement, it took about a year and a half, two years to get people to be signing on. I mean, some countries have never signed on. Um, some countries were about <laughs> to leave and then, mm-hmm. and then didn't leave, right? So we need to say that this ratification process, 60 countries need to ratify this. If if this scrubbing process just does with the semantics and not with the substantive, and we, we look at it and say, this is feasible, this is this is smart, it's a great step. So hopefully in the next year, two years, maybe a bit longer, we get to ratify this. And then we have the first conference of parties okay as people in the you know ocean space, as young people right now, we need to understand that whatever we know now is going to be useful for each COP coming up because there's a lot of things undecided. So there's opportunities only if we realize this. So the same way I was telling you about how marine genetic resources were thought of as, um, um, as a way to finance this thing, that was something that was talked about 10, 15, 20 years ago. And if you have people coming in at different stages and don't know their history, well, then it's not even a subject for mm-hmm. debate, right? So as young people, we need to be the ones talking to those who've put in the time, the people who've given their whole lifetimes to make this treaty happen. And as young people, we need to listen, we need to critically analyze what's been done, really read and go back. And then we'll be able to make use of opportunities to go there and say, hey, you know, when we first thought about this or when it was agreed in March uh, 4th, 2023, this was there. And where did that go? And why aren't we doing this? And so I would say that's that's an opportunity to build on going into the future.
1: Nice. I think that's a really good motivating message um at the end to to close on. Um there's so much more to yeah, as you say, so many details we could discuss, but I I appreciate you going into all the detail and sharing um sort of yeah, what it felt like, why um there's so much. Discrimination happening also within these negotiations and why it's not entirely the the great um solving silver bullet um uh yeah that some media outlets make it seem. I got so confused because you just muted yourself. I was like, what happened?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I just making sure there's no like um other I don't know how much you're picking up in sounds, so I thought yeah, while well, you're talking. Oh, that's out. okay. Don't <laughs> worry, I just cut it out. <laughs> cool, cool,
1: cool. Yeah,
0: but no, it's 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 a privilege to go there, and it's a responsibility to um, talk to the people want to talk to. So I've I've talked to people a bit anonymously, publicly, and if I'm in the room, what am I doing if I'm not um, sharing what I've experienced as authentically as possible? I have my own agenda. <laughs> I, I I am be- acting on behalf of Seychelles and to some extent the African group and AOSIS. Uh, Um, But as a young person, you know, what I really am fascinated and and encouraged uh, by is saying, look, you know, previous generations, we have this global south, global north um, legacy of, of, you know, whether we talk about colonialism, we talk about imperialism, there's a clear legacy there. But I think in our generation, we're not only able to talk about it, but I think hopefully build a, a better world acknowledging, you know, things happening. On either sides that are not good, and I think that's that's key to me because if we're going to figure out this commons, right, um, we're not going to do it as just one side yeah. or, or one group. We're going to do yeah. it together, and so that that's something as that someone who communicates and talks is like I'm so encouraged when people from global north we're we're having a conversation about it, um, and we're we're really getting to um, be authentic and genuine about okay, yeah, these are my that's, concerns. Yeah
1: that's totally a fair point it's not i think that's so often misunderstood it's not about like eliminating the global north or european union or u.s from all of these negotiations or anything it's of course not like we're all part of the the same heritage and and like humans right so i think i see that same um sort of openness and um yeah collaboration happening as well and I and there's definitely a growing awareness for the topics for sure um so yeah yeah. but it's also you need to you always need to remain um wary and you need to remain cautious as you said like these things get easily said it's it's easy to to say oh yes I will be diverse and inclusive but then um the end of the day um still 90 percent 95 percent white people in the room so um that's uh it it'll take effort for sure
0: intentionality uh, and um, accountability
1: yeah yeah exactly cool <laughs> epic my my brain is exploding with um <laughs> legal text after just one hour and <laughs> kudos really thank you for for your work there and like sitting through those hours it sounds really intense
0: it was it was growing. <laughs> it was growing. <laughs> so I appreciate the time, and uh, I I really appreciate being invited back to talk about this uh, subject for sure. And um, I'm sure it'll be something that will come up in the Ocean Embassy again uh, in mm-hmm. in the months and years to come. Um, so I'm sure I will. You'll I be, will back. be listening. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, but I'll be listening because I think. There are many voices on this. So I appreciate, again, the chance to be part of this. And yeah, thank, thank you for the, the questions. I really
1: like them. Thanks. It's really good to, to see you and speak to you again. And have a beautiful, sunny day in New York.
0: Thank <laughs> you so much, Anna. Have a great one in Berlin.
1: Thank you. Bye. <laughs> right.
0: Bye.